Hello, friends. We are interrupting healing hearts to herald a time of celebration and triumph. This month, we honor an extraordinary group of young individuals, our foster grads. Against all odds, these resilient graduates have turned challenges into stepping stones, achieving a milestone that once seemed distant. Their caps and gowns are not just attire, but symbols of perseverance, strength, and hope. Each graduate's success is a testament to the unwavering support of the Speak Up for Kids community. Together, we've built a foundation of encouragement and care, helping these bright stars to shine. Visit Growing Grads at www.speakupforkidspbc.org and join us in celebrating the incredible journey of our foster kids. Let's cheer for their past achievements and rally for their future successes. When we stand together, every graduate is a beacon of hope for tomorrow, fueling the journey with potential and promise. Now, Back to Healing Hearts. Month after month, it got better and better. The more they trust me, the more love they felt, the better they did at everything, not just the sibling visits, but everything. Car rides were very hard at the beginning. And you know, you have to have compassion and understand why, because there is a reason. Hey there, friend. Welcome to Healing Hearts, where we understand the challenges of parenting children with behavioral, developmental, or emotional divergence. If you've ever struggled with fear, uncertainty, exhaustion, isolation, or even feelings of guilt along your parenting path, we get it. Here, it's all about guiding you through the highs and lows of raising kids who need equal parts love, patience, and empathy. Our approach is a little different. Healing Hearts was created and continues to be hosted by dynamic high school and college students who consider the support of vulnerable or at-risk children and their families critical to student success. What can you expect from us? encouragement and honest talk with terrific guests sharing relatable stories and smart tips to make your journey smoother. We also focus on parents and children's mental and emotional health because it's vital. You'll get simple, effective strategies to keep you strong and positive because parenting is a heroic act. And when advice isn't enough, we point you towards extra help and resources. Stay with us, tune in, and let's take this journey together. We are here to back you up, boost your spirits, and help you confidently face each day. Welcome to the Healing Hearts family. We are so happy to have you here. Today, we are thrilled to have foster mom Ashley Moon joining us. With almost eight years of experience, Ashley brings a wealth of knowledge and understanding to our discussion on the importance of fostering positive sibling relationships. As a foster parent, Ashley has dealt with many trials while trying to do best for her family, and we're excited to dive in, and I'm sure our audience will gain valuable insights from this conversation. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ashley. Oh, my pleasure. So I just wanted to start with 
if you could share some of your background and journey as a foster parent with our audience, including what prompted you to open your heart and home for vulnerable children. I got into it kind of untraditionally, well, maybe traditionally for some, but as a family member, you know, that was losing custody of their children, that's how I got into being a foster mom. I thought it was going to be a very temporary thing, you know, that it was something that was going to be fast. And we learned after two and a half years of having the children the first time that things don't happen fast, that, you know, there are steps that have to be taken on both sides so that children can be reunified. And during my process, I met many different families that were also, you know, foster or kinship or caregivers. And it opened my eyes to another world that I didn't know of and that there are a lot of children out there that don't have a place to call home. And I'm very blessed that I was able to provide that for from 2016 to 2018. That's the first time for two little girls. And eventually they were reunified with mom after mom completed all of her tasks. And yeah, that's how I got into it. Thank you. As you said, there were probably multiple children that came into your care. So how did the impact of maintaining sibling connections through the foster process become apparent to you? So when we first got the two girls, they were young. One was a newborn, only 10 days old. The other one was one. And they were the only two siblings in the family at the time. But mom became pregnant shortly after. And by the end of her case plan, she had two more siblings. And the two girls that I had didn't get to know the siblings in those two and a half years because there wasn't a one that was like, Hey, why don't, you know, why don't we do a sibling visit or let's try to connect the kids together. They were all very young, very, very little and born back to back to back. It was just never discussed, but the day they were reunified, they didn't know who these other two little girls were. And yes, they did know that there was another sibling out there, two siblings by the time they were reunified, but they didn't know them. They didn't know their personalities. They didn't have that bond with them. And I saw it and I wish they would have created the bond that we would have had them together. And so I said, next time around, if they're siblings, I want to try harder. I want to be better. I want them to keep that connection of siblings because it's so important if you don't have mom or dad you know, currently, it's so important to keep establishing that relationship with the siblings. So you answered that next question about why maintaining a solid connection between siblings is important, especially when they're not in the same home or county. And you kind of said you tried to do that if more children came to the picture. Yes. So the next time around when I had, now mom had five kids and I had three at the beginning I wanted to keep that relationship established. The children are now older. They were from age seven to 10 months and they were living in the same home for a few years. And I wanted them to keep that relationship because it seemed healthy as siblings, maybe not healthy with the parents, but the children seemed to have a very deep connection with each other. So as soon as the first court hearing came about, you know, I saw the other caregivers at the hearing and that's how we first connected and decided that we need to keep these siblings connected no matter what. And we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the future was going to bring for these children. And we just kind of, we were winging it like, okay, let's see where we can meet midway 
And we played around with a couple locations because one caregiver's in Tampa, one's in Daytona, and then, you know, I'm in Palm Beach County. So it was hard to, to find a, a little meeting point to where we could spend a few hours and the kids could just be kids and play and see each other. We definitely, we still do, you know, video chats when it's good for both caregivers. And we figured it out. The kids, you know, they get to see each other once a month. We usually, you know, set it the month before. So we make sure that we can plan accordingly. We each bring something like one will bring the food, one will bring the drinks. You know, we even had a, a Christmas celebration with all the children where we met at a park and we decorated for Christmas and we gave the kids a Christmas together. And that was really beautiful. It was so beautiful to see the kids exchange gifts with each other. And um, just the joy on their faces is, is really nice to see. And yeah, it is hard. It's very hard to coordinate. And, you know, with me having four children of my own, plus these five siblings, you know, you're talking about not getting nine kids together, plus three caregivers. Um, it's not easy. So you got to put in the work. But at the end of the day, these kids deserve to keep that connection with each other because one day that maybe all they have are their siblings. And it's important for me also to keep that relationship going because I think it's a positive one. You said that sometimes it could have been challenging and it's not always the easiest road. Could you maybe share like the biggest challenge that you faced while maintaining sibling connections and then also dealing with your four children? Maybe that's related to coordinating or, you know, just balancing your time. How were you able to get through that challenge? It was definitely a struggle at the beginning because, you know, taking my four children plus, you know, the three additional girls and driving them two hours to a visit is not simple. You know, it takes planning. One of the children was medically needy, is medically needy. So you have to plan all these things, but planning helps when you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, I have teenagers, so I'm like, okay, this is your job. You're going to sit in the back with the one baby. Another one's going to sit in the middle with another baby. And we just kind of got it done. I'm, I'm a doer. Like I just like to get it done. And at the end, and at the end of the day, then it, it's rewarding because you see how happy these children are. And my children have been a part of, you know, us being foster parents for a long time. So they've seen it. They volunteer with organizations. They love to give back because they are very thankful, you know, for their home and their parents and us giving them stability during their life. And I love that my children have compassion and empathy towards others. It's such a beautiful thing to see. One of the hardest things is the drive. It is, especially at the beginning when these children had not been in car seats, you know, they didn't know how to stay strapped in a car seat for two hours. So it was like, okay, let's stop every 30 minutes at the beginning. Just get them out, change their diaper, breathe, whatever it is. And then eventually got to be where we could drive two hours straight. You know, we would do it during nap time. We would try to get all the kids settled before we left so they would sleep. And that's kind of how we do it now. We leave at a certain time so we know they can nap on the way. By the time we get there, lunchtime, play for a few hours, leave right before dinner time, get them home in time, you know, for dinner, bath, 
bed and stuff to keep them on a routine. And yeah, that was probably the most challenging part for me was the driving and, and teaching the kids, like, it's okay to be in a car seat. You know, you'll still be entertained. We're here. I think it was a comfort thing as well. They like to be held and comforted and know, know that they're secure and yeah. So it sounds like some of the solutions or steps towards that challenge were sort of step by step. You know, you can't go too far. You have to take the breaks every 30 minutes. You have to let them know that they're loved and, you know, sort of slowly get to that point where you can make the two hour drive, slowly get to that point where you can, you know, keep that connection with the siblings. Kids can adapt, but it takes time, especially when a child has gone through trauma and you don't know exactly what that trauma was, but you can see it. So patience and nurturing and stability, month after month, it got better and better. The more they trust me, the more love they felt, the better they did at everything, not just the sibling visits, but everything. But car rides were very hard at the beginning. And, you know, you have to have compassion and understand why, because there is a reason. It's not just because, you know, a 10 month old baby's trying to be bad. It's because she wants to feel secure. And when she's, you know, facing a back of a car, it, it could, I could see how it could steer up emotions because we don't know what they went through, but patience, you just have to have the patience and the structure and just keep going. Don't give up because these kids do deserve to keep that connection. And it's unfortunate, you know, that as of now there are six siblings and they're, there isn't one home that can hold six siblings. You know, the baby's in a different state and all the other children are very well set with their caregiver. They probably will stay where they're at. So it's so important to keep that sibling connection for the future, because no matter what happens in the future, these girls will always have each other. They will. And so it's important for me to let them know that, their siblings are very important to us. I wanted to go back to your first time coordinating with all the different caregivers. How did that coordination go? Did you initiate the contacts? Because I know you said in the beginning that you wanted to make sure that if there were more children, you wanted to have a connection. So were your ideas well received? Like, how did that work? They were very well received. All the caregivers are very involved with the case. Like I said, at this time around at the beginning, I had three of the girls. I currently only have one because the oldest got to go with her biological father and she's in a very good place, very stable, very happy. We still do monthly visits. She she comes to you know my home on the weekend and we spend the weekend together and she goes to a sibling visit with us because dad is also very supportive. And then one of the other girls went to live with her other sister in the Tampa area because she has medical conditions. And with me having seven kids in the home, it just, you have to know when, what works for you and what doesn't. And I, I know she needed a certain amount of attention and I wanted her to be in a home where she could get that. And with her sibling up in Tampa was the best option because it would be, you know, just them and the caregiver there was able to, you know, get her into all the doctors she needed to be in and, you know, everything else that's involved with that. But the the caregivers were extremely open to it. And I think with doing those visits, it also 
allows all these siblings to have a relationship with the other caregivers because it's just another person to care about them. You know, like when we did Christmas and how all the caregivers didn't just buy the child, they had gifts, you know, they got everybody at least one item. And that was really nice because we are like one big blended, crazy, crazy family right now. I mean, that's how I look at it. Like we might not be related, but we all have something in common. And that's these girls, these children. And we seem to all have the same goal in keeping their relationship. And like I said, even if, you know, I think maybe we missed one month, but instead we just did a Zoom call. Unfortunately, germs come around and, you know, stuff happens and we do what we can if that arises. But for the most part, I mean, these girls get to see each other, you know, every single month. And it's it's really, really nice to see. Yeah, to go off of what you were just talking about with this Christmas visit, it sounds like it was a success in terms of getting all the siblings together and also letting the siblings learn from the other caregivers and, you know, receive that sort of affection. So what other practical tips could you offer to foster parents to help them support the sibling connection? If there are any other resources or any other ideas that you guys have implemented that you thought were helpful. I really didn't have any resources. I wish maybe I did. Maybe, you know, this podcast will help somebody, you know, as a resource. But I would say be very open because another caregiver might have a different idea of what's going to help, you know, keep that relationship established. A caregiver might not be open to having in-person visits like we are, you know, I mean, Tampa to West Palm Beach isn't close. So there might be a caregiver that can't drive that distance. But thankfully, we have technology and we have other ways, even if it can't be in person, to keep that relationship going best you can. And even if it's every couple months, you know, that they get to see each other in person. I think it's it's important just to be open and and to listen to what the other caregivers ideas or suggestions. I mean, one child could have so much trauma that they think it's not best to have a sibling visit. You know, every scenario is going to be different. In our case, all of these siblings have a very good relationship. So, and I'm very open with the other caregivers as much as I can be about feelings, emotions, you know, talking about what the children have been through. And it's also nice because it's another ear to listen to you, someone you can vent to, someone that understands what you're going through. So even if you're not open to it at the beginning, you know, take time and really, really think about it because it could be beneficial, not just to the child, but to you as well. Yeah. I was just thinking, I can only imagine that it also creates a support group for the parents and caregivers as well to, you know, have a conversation about if, there are challenges you can turn to someone else other than just the yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Just, or your caseworker, you know, or the guardian ad litem. You have someone else that's involved in this particular case that understands you, understands, you know, you're going to have days where you're frustrated, but you're also going to have days where you have so much joy and love, you know, you're going to have days of all emotions and, it's nice to have someone else that understands those emotions and why you're feeling them at that moment. Yeah, exactly. So I think to sort of go towards the end of this podcast episode, could you share any 
lessons that you learned on this journey? I know you've touched upon some of them about being a doer and going through it. You're going to have ups and downs, but is there anything else that you would like to let the audience know? Love comes in different forms. That would be mine. Like you might think showing the child love in, in one way that's normal, where they take it and reciprocate it differently. I try to show them love in so many different ways. Like I, I feel like sibling visits is a way to show them love that you actually care about them, their feelings, their bond with their biological siblings. And you'll receive love in different ways. And receiving that love from a child, biological or not, is something beautiful. And it's something that takes time because trust takes time. And establishing a relationship with a child that's been through trauma, it takes time. But we have the time and you have to allow it to go through the process to get to where your child can show love and you can show love back to them in a very healthy way. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. I've learned many lessons along the way. Patience, love, having a support group. Having support is is very, very, very important, especially in a case like ours, when there's so many children, so many different counties. And yeah, I'm very lucky that I have that. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice and an amazing lesson, especially the part where you said that we have the time for you know, every single child and to be able to listen to what they're going through and respond accordingly. I want to lastly ask if you could share with us your funniest parenting moment. Oh boy, funniest parenting. Well, I can say things that really like tickle my funny bone is when I see these children that came to us, not in great spirits, but I see them now acting as my children do with making little silly gestures that my kids do and, you know, posing funny and sticking their tongues out and just having that, that joy that a child should have. Like, that's what makes me crack up laughing. Cause I'm like, man, this is what we've been working for. You know, this case, particularly it's been a little over a year and to get to the point where I can watch these children just laugh over the silliest things. When at the beginning, if they heard laugh, they thought of it as yelling and they would get scared. So for that, like, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have like one particular thing I can say, but just watching them react to things that are funny makes me laugh out loud. Like, because I'm like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. Like just to say, Hey girls, make a funny face. Let's pose funny and them actually do it. It's just the cutest thing. It really is the cutest thing. That's perfect. That is perfect. Well, Ashley, thank you again for joining us on Healing Hearts and sharing the importance of fostering sibling connections during foster placement. And I definitely believe that your insights are going to empower other parents who are traveling and listening to this episode. Oh, thank you. I hope it does. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you found warmth and wisdom here to help you on your parenting odyssey. What is the best way to support us? Please subscribe, leave a review, and share Healing Hearts with anyone who could use this supportive community. 
stay connected with us on social media, or visit www.speakupforkidspbc.org for more information. Remember, a heart, like a garden, needs care to flourish. Until next time, you've been listening to Healing Hearts.